Hey, thank God it's time for the Sacred Fire of Liberty edition of the Robert Scott Bell Show. Jonathan E. Mord always brings it, lightens the load, brings the uh, the heat for the Constitution against the bureaucratic oligarchy. And we are going to find out what Jonathan uh, perceives after the Supreme Court decision that was a ruling against the EPA. How does it impact the rest of the oligarchy, including the FDA, the FTC, et cetera, in terms of rulemaking beyond the purview of Congress or beyond the enumerated powers granted to Congress, not an oligarchy? I am excited to hear from Jonathan on that and a whole lot more. And then a second hour of constitutional discussion, Stephen P. Halbrook from independent.org. We're going to talk about the right to keep and bear arms. Notice my shirt, defend the second, uh, that and more today. So tell your friends, we're still blocked on you. Facebook for some reason. I don't know why. Come on over to robertscottbell.com slash listen. Tell them to, to join us now. Sacred fire of Liberty begins. Yeah. Right about now. Let's go. Let's go. The Robert Scott Bell Bell Show. It's a bit of frenetic day on the Robert Scott Bell Show, not due to anything Jonathan E. Mord is doing. It's all me uh, trying to do so many things on a day where I head out after the show to Indianapolis, Indiana for G. Edward Griffin and the Red Pill Expo. I'll be speaking there. I'll be lecturing, of course, and uh, emceeing as well. So uh, pardon my scatteredness in this show today. And we're going to bring on the stability. That will rock the health world and your freedom in a good way. Shake it loose so that you recognize that freedom is yours, that we talk about all the time here by virtue of your very creation, the breath, the life that is yours, and that those rights we discuss, we acknowledge, come from that place and nowhere less. And so that government is on notice that when it usurps our rights, right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, property, etc., it is far exceeded the limitations placed on it by the founders initially following what we discussed uh, last week, the declaration of independence leading to eventually the constitution after the articles of confederation, a limited government that would simply exist primarily to protect the rights. They wouldn't be violated rather than violate them themselves. Like most every other government in the history of mankind had done before. And we are witnessing the descent further and further into what's known as an oligarchical structure that Jonathan Emort has written about with his first book that I remember, The Rise of Tyranny, to other books on history that bring us to the present time and give us rational explanation and a very clear pathway to how we got here, which also leads to how we undo it. One of his books, Restore the Republic, that goes through that as well. So with that said, hopefully I made sense in the first sentences that I've uttered today on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Welcome, everybody, and let's welcome Jonathan Emort back to the show. And I understand you had a successful Independence Day celebration at your home. Uh, I wish I could have been there with you as well, but I was watching my daughter in an amazing historical musical extravaganza about the history of freedom before this country and this country. And the picture of that, Robert, is fantastic. Your daughter was in a wonderful program. I wish I had seen it. Oh, you would you would have loved it. Cries of freedom. And, you know, went back to the story of Joan of Arc, you know, the 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 real uh, divine kind of. In communication that led to the dawning of America, which I believe was not in any way, shape or form an accident. Certainly our founders used their intellect, but I believe that communication with the divine also inspired them to do what they did to, let's say, I would say preferably leave us with more freedom, not less. But the question is, are we willing to fight for that freedom that we've lost and regain it? Well, you know, Robert, your guest coming up, Stephen Halbrook is 
one of the leading Second Amendment scholars in the United States. He is a brilliant uh, scholar, and he documents the underlying ideological origins of the Second Amendment. He knows his history very, very well. And the Supreme Court has cited his works a number of times. He is a uh, major hitter, and it's nice to see him on the show, Robert. Go I'm ahead. excited. And, of course, he, he knows, like Biden, that uh, our, our founders were not allowed to have cannons because that would violate. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. The, the celebration that we, we did last week was great. It was before the, the Independence Day holiday. I loved our discussion. And then I had my good friend Michael Badnarik on, who's also written about the Constitution ex and extensively uh, dedicated his life to these principles of liberty. So I can never get enough. That's why I love that every week we sort of, we always pepper it in, even if it's not around Independence Day, our discussion like this. Uh, but as we open today's broadcast, I'm really, you know, we knew when this was likely to happen, that the EPA would be kind of slapped on the hand. Maybe that's a mild way of saying it by the Supreme Court, but that it impacts the entire oligarchy potentially. And you have dealt with the oligarchy in various over the years uh, for clients that have been limited in their freedom of speech or other things in commerce uh, because of rulemaking by unelected bureaucrats. Tell us about this ruling and how it impacts all the other things that you've done or may do in the future and now have more ammunition, so to speak, within the legal realm to curtail their activities. So in uh, West Virginia versus EPA, the Supreme Court decided that the major questions doctrine should be invoked. This is a first for the Supreme Court to elaborate extensively on the major questions doctrine and use it as a basis for decision. What is that doctrine? Well, under the major questions doctrine, the agencies may not uh, enact a regulation that uh, would affect broadly the economy or uh, a, a new political era, er, area without express uh, language from uh, the statute authorizing it, which means that all these vacuous statutes that have been enacted since uh, the rise of the administrative state and as far back as the 1930s uh, and have been used by the administrative agencies to create vast new areas of regulatory law will now be upended uh, if this precedent is universally followed because in each instance where agencies adopt new regulations, the first question that any attorney challenging it is going to be asking is does it comply with the major questions doctrine? Are they regulating in a way that is uh, embracing a huge segment of the American economy such that the impact of that regulation would be in the, you say, uh, uh, tens of billions of dollars like this one, mm -hmm. in which case it immediately begs the question, uh, is there a specific grant of legislative authority? Before, you know, this even undermines Chev the Chevron deference doctrine because mm -hmm. Uh, it, it's a it's a it's a separate or collateral attack that you may use without even reaching Chevron, because if you're able to establish that it is a major question not addressed in the statute enabling statute for the agency, mm -hmm. then you have a strong argument under this uh, uh, decision to invalidate it, and that's sure. uh, that's a major hammer for those of us who fight the administrative state to wield against 
administrative agencies in the future. So for everybody listening, Jonathan has taken on within the, the, the legal realm uh, on behalf of clients, the freedom issues as it relates to the oligarchy, basically saying, no, you don't have the freedom to fill in the blank, especially First Amendment issues like freedom of speech. And, and the Chevron decision, the simplified version, is basically uh, established that said we will give deference to the uh, FDA, the EPA, the FTC, any of these so-called agencies, because their expertise, the belief is, is exceeding that of Congress that so-called passed the law, put it in existence without much rulemaking <laughs> you know, detail, right? Here's the general thing. You guys take care of it now. So it, it, it put Congress out of the realm of actually enabling, I say enabling, executing laws, that's the executive branch, but actually writing a law that anybody knew what they actually meant Maybe you thought you did, but then they would go on and go, well, we're the we're the agency. We're just going to say it. we think we they mean, mean this we will implement limitations on freedom of speech and Congress will have no say over it. You sue them. And then they go, sorry, Jonathan, you may be right constitutionally. But the Chevron decision says we we give great deference to the agency. So you lose or even if you win, they ignore it, as we've seen with the FDA vic victories against the FDA that you've done. Uh, is that the, the short version make any sense? Yeah, that's pretty good, Robert. And uh, uh, what we see here is really just the first in what I hope will be over time, a series of movements against the administrative state. Uh, the administrative state is a horrible thing for freedom because what has happened is the administrative agencies routinely uh, fail to protect your rights when you appear before them. You're guilty until you prove yourself innocent. They don't allow a trial by jury. They don't. Uh, uh, they they use general warrants, which are held which are unconstitutional under the Fourth Amendment. And they uh, they don't have due process. And isn't there a presumption of, of guilt within the uh, agencies? They look yeah, at you. You're, 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 the the accused is presumed guilty. And furthermore, the agency which is bringing the action against you is also the judge. So there's no there's no separation of functions wow. in reality. There's no separation of powers in reality. The party that is the prosecutor is also the judge. Imagine going to court mm -hmm. and having the person who is uh, opposing you and charging you with some crime also be the judge. There's there's an inherent conflict of interest, of course. That's routinely how administrative agencies operate. They have been equated by many scholars with the courts of Star Chamber and High Commission mm. in England before uh, the modern era. The, these things happened where the king, in order to bring charges against a party, would rely not upon the courts, not upon the queen's bench or the king's bench, but rather upon uh, the, the secretive uh, courts that were accusatory, they brought the charges and they judged them. So there was this inherent conflict. Well, the founding fathers utterly rejected the courts of high uh, commission right. and start chamber. And that's why they have so many provisions in the bill of rights for protecting your rights against self-incrimination, which you don't have in the administrative state no. either. Uh, you dealt don't, with this process. They're really, yeah. It, it is horrendous. In fact, if most people saw what happened in administrative courts, mm -hmm. uh, they would be appalled and they would think that 
there's no justice in America because so many people are brought under the administrative agency's jurisdiction these days. And the, and the Article Three courts, by the way, uh, while you can ultimately appeal to them, mm-hmm. the courts under Chevron uh, and related uh, deferential doctrines do not uh, um, do a what's known as a de novo review of the facts. They don't look at all the facts. They only look at the facts that the agency identifies in its decision. Mm-hmm. And even then, they defer to the, the value uh, assigned to the facts or the legal significance of the facts given by the agency, and they defer to the ultimate legal determinations, even in large measure, while they shouldn't, to agency constitutional determinations. Mm-hmm. So this is a this the court is on to this. A majority of the court is, and they're disgusted with it. And I'm hopeful that they will put an end to uh, a lot of it. Uh, by judicial decision. Ultimately, the solution lies in eliminating the administrative state and restoring back to the constitutional branches the powers that were supposed to be exclusively theirs. Mm -hmm. This whole thing, as I explained in the rise of the authoritarians, uh, is a move by uh, many, including Felix Frankfurter, to circumvent the Constitution because uh, it imposed limitations on power to create a, an authoritarian yeah. state in which people's rights would not have to be protected and in which the will of the government would be assured by a all-powerful uh, administrative state dominated by quote-unquote mm-hmm. experts. Jonathan, when we talked about the, the, the events that preceded the Declaration of Independence all those years ago, uh King George, the things that the king was doing, the crown was doing. Is it arguable that the things that our bureaucratic oligarchy is doing exceeds even what King George did to the colonist equivalencies, if you will? Oh, absolutely. In fact, it's vastly more intrusive and burdensome than anything George III imposed on the colonies. He imposed many uh, uh, restrictions, the stamp tax, the coercive acts, limited their transportation possibilities, denied, took away their arms, uh, did a number of things that violate rights that were uh, outrageous. But we see the same thing happening with the administrative state and more, so that you can't even enter into business in many instances without licenses, without uh, getting a government's approval. Look what Hochul just did. The court struck down in the Bruin case that New York... Uh, concealed carry law, and the New York legislature, in in defiance of the Supreme Court, just passed another uh, uh, constitutionally unlawful uh, uh, concealed carry law that directly flouts the Bruin decision. I mean, we have a we have a an environment in which the the far left and the Democrat Party, which is dominated by the far left, simply has no respect for the rule of law. That's why someone like Schumer, uh, Chuck Schumer, the uh, Senate Majority Leader, would stand in front of the Supreme Court and actually uh, incite people to attack the justices uh, with his words. Um, That's uh, disgusting, and yet it is fully acceptable to them. Or in the case of uh, President Biden and uh, and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer combined, 
refusing to sign into law uh, the legislation to protect the justices. Then after it was ultimately forced upon them and they finally relented and signed it into law, refusing to give it any meaning by having the Justice Department actually protect the justices. Mm -hmm. So you have them there today with the states having to do pick up the difference because it's shocking, but here uh, the justices of the Supreme Court threatened by protesters who are at their homes and directing threats to their lives and to their their uh, their children's lives and families. Uh, and yet you have only the marshal service from the court protecting them and it's insufficient and no response from uh, the attorney general, no response from the White House, no response from Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer in Congress, and just letting them hang out there with the with the very real risk mm. that one of them will be assassinated. Well, and that's going to be blood directly on their hands. And they're willing to accept that because they tie themselves with that radical left so closely and they're so wedded to it that, you know, they would look forward to a new opportunity to to uh, 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 nominate a justice on sure. the far left side of things, but and this got you know this is horrendous. It's it's an evil, yeah, yeah. Uh, vicious thing. And Jonathan, and you know, if let's just say the court was uh, the opposite direction in terms of a five two decision, and it was a liberal uh, dominated court, and they they upheld Roe. And if we protested or, or had outspoken said, you know, these are horrible decisions, they would likely call us insurrectionists at this point. They would. But not only that, you can bet your bottom dollar, Robert, that the Justice Department would be sending over FBI and uh, police, federal mm -hmm. police, uh, National Guard to protect those justices. Uh, and they would do it immediately. I mean, look how look, contrast the the speed with which Nancy Pelosi put up a massive fence and mm -hmm. had 10,000 National Guard troop, troops all around the Capitol on the, on, the, on the false threat of someone coming to the Capitol to protest uh, the Biden administration. And yet when it comes to actual threats against the justices with people in large numbers protesting in front of their houses, absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely nothing. And it's appalling. It's 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 further proof. And we have a lot of it of the unequal justice, which they represent mm -hmm. when it comes to Pelosi, when it comes to her, her, her husband, when it comes to Schumer, when it comes to their family members, they can do anything when it comes to Biden, his family members. I mean, his son has violated more federal laws than you can imagine. Mm -hmm. He's never been prosecuted, never will have to answer for that because the law enforcement industry under Biden is biased and the Justice Department is biased and the FBI is biased. And this is ruinous to the rule of law and makes people highly skeptical of institutions, which they should be. Yeah. Uh, but it makes them realize that, gee, I can't trust anyone in the federal government. I Why am I to believe anything that they say? Because they act with such political crassness that they really don't do anything uh, that is um, a uniform application of the law. They, they use biased interpretation, biased application in order to benefit themselves. That's it.
Yeah. Well, we have an uh, article uh, from Breitbart by John Nolte talking about the confidence in U.S. uh, U.S. institutions hits a glorious new low. And we must remain ever skeptical of the integrity, constitutional or otherwise, of these agencies. We know that they work toward centralization of power, the limitation of the freedom of the people. Now, strategically, Jonathan, in terms of cases, I know you can't speak specifically of cases because there's, you know, attorney-client privilege and all that you do, but thinking of now this decision that we've been referencing against the EPA, have you already begun writing and rewriting submissions on behalf of clients based on this new ruling to say, look, you guys have been doing this. It's clearly not within the realm or purview of these of these agencies anymore. And now you have a new site, a very recent site to utilize to batter back on the oligarchy in court. Yes, all of our attorneys are aware of this case and all of them are interested in applying it. And I suspect that we're going to see it used over and over again. This is a landmark decision uh, that has huge implications for the administrative state. And you've got a clear opportunity arising because this administration, the Biden administration has been so outrageous in its expansion of federal authority, not even not even looking for a, a statutory provision that would authorize what they do. They just seize power. And we've seen over and over again, the courts strike down the Biden administration's actions. And while I'm, I salute the court for this decision, I really, uh, I was really disappointed with the court's decision in the Texas case, where uh, they decided that the Remain in Mexico policy could be revoked by the Biden administration. I think that was a too narrow read. I think the statutory provision 1225 in the Immigration Act um, was plainly violated, as the judge uh, in the case below had decided. And mm-hmm. while you can quibble over whether there's some administrative law violation, when it comes to 1225, I think that the court made blew it on that because so, uh, the real problem is that the remain in Mexico policy that they're revoking is not just a uh, act uh, in, in isolation. It's an act that was undertaken at the same time that they refused to enforce the remaining portions of the Immigration Act that were directed at preventing illegal aliens from entering this country, or if they did enter this country, ensuring that they would be uh, before a magistrate or uh, a judge and and uh, and adjudicated on the issue of their the lawfulness of their entry. What we have is with the Biden administration is an utter refusal mm-hmm. to uh, enforce the law. They're they're shipping people across the country uh, by bus and by plane and depositing them, giving them cell phones, giving them money, giving them legal counsel, giving them welfare, so, uh, all to people who are illegal. So they're facilitating and encouraging unlawful entry into the United States. In that, in light of that, the, re- the removal of the Remain in Mexico policy must be viewed as a violation of 1225 because there is no lawful enforcement. In other words, it's not an act of discretion among enforcement tools. Mm-hmm. It's a unilateral, it's, it's a wholesale universal abandonment of enforcement of the law. All right, John. The, the, the yanking right. of the Remain in Mexico policy 
violated 1225 because they didn't have any other alternative. So here's my question. And this, you know, raises again, constitutional, you know, uh, strategies, if you will, in the case of, uh, for instance, the road decision, it was clear that that was always a state issue. It should have never been a federal issue that we say, okay, they got that right. The EPA decision clear that the oligarchy is rulemaking beyond their powers. Congress has abrogated its responsibility. And so, yes, we agree with that decision. You're talking about an immigration related decision and you've you've made a case for why it's wrong. The question is, what is the rightful remedy? Because the Supreme Court supposedly supreme law of the land. And I say, well, there's got to be another remedy. What if the Supreme Court gets it so clearly wrong? There's got to be something else written into the Constitution. Do I come back to the 10th Amendment and say, hey, Texas, there are counties in Texas saying we are under an invasion. We have got the federal government is not doing its job. So we now have to. I wouldn't say usurp the federal, but if the federal is not doing the constitutionally, uh, uh, let's say, ascribed uh, 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 responsibilities, then what are, where do the states come in when the Supreme Court gets it wrong? Is that a 10th Amendment issue? Well, it doesn't even have to arise under the 10th Amendment because a state has an inherent power to protect its own borders. And multiple states can can join together and use their resources to protect their respective borders and do so as part of a coalition or part of a, a group to do so. I would recommend that all the southern states that have borders with Mexico work together to uh, uh, police their borders, build fences, um, increase their police forces, and so forth. And I would recommend the adjacent states, in fact, all other states, contribute money to help finance a state-based uh, police force to arrest, incarcerate, prosecute, and, and eject from the country those who are in, in the nation illegally and who are drug traffickers, sex traffickers, carrying fentanyl, and so forth. All of those people could be ejected from this country by states finding that they had violated the law. They have routinely, and, and under the federal law, given those people over to uh, Immigration Naturalization Service to remove them from the country. But I don't see any reason why a state confronted with a person who is illegally present in the state hmm. cannot uh, uh, develop its own set of laws to remove them from the state, fly them to another country, deposit them there, or get them out of the country if they're at the border, throw hmm. them across the border. And and this is, this is what, what has to be done. Because mm -hmm. I'm telling you, we are already seeing the total destruction of property and, and people's lives. We're seeing MS-13, 18th Street gangs populating our cities, killing people. Biden administration is doing absolutely nothing. And uh, the only solution is for governors to take charge and do it. So, Just do it. And I think they have the perfect right to do that. I don't so, think there's any constitutional basis. Uh, they will argue that there's federal preemption, right? Uh, but when they don't enforce the law, yeah, there's no federal preemption. They're not preempting anything. In fact, they're abdicating their right. role. And in the presence of an abdication of their role, the states certainly can fill the void and protect their citizens, and they should. Mm -hmm. Well, I, that's why I asked the question because uh, clearly there are certain points where the federal government is either. Uh, exceeding its authority 
And in that case, supremacy clause issues as well are misinterpreted because you can't just do anything you want because of the supremacy clause. It has to be in line with the Constitution or else what what good is the Constitution? Right. At the same time, you're pointing out when they are not enforcing laws that are already on the books, unless, again, they're challenged as unconstitutional, which that one you've referred to in terms of immigration hasn't been. Apparently, it hasn't reached the Supreme Court. Let me give you a strange kind of analogy, but this would this would illustrate the point. So let's assume that Biden's president, and he is, of course, but let's assume that he's president under these circumstances. Let's say that uh, uh, 10,000 Russian tourists coming to the nation's capital go into Virginia and then pull out arms and start uh, attacking uh, the civilians and basically trying to foment a revolution. Okay, let's say that the federal government doesn't do anything. These are people who came into the country from Russia Let's say they had visas or whatever. Let's say that they weren't even illegal aliens, but they were agents of uh, Putin and they were here to uh, spark a revolution. They had connections here and so forth. All right. It would certainly be within the province of the governor to call out the National Guard and fight them, even if Biden didn't have the the American military uh, do that. And it would furthermore be certainly appropriate for that governor to arrest them and eject them uh, or or execute them uh, uh, without the necessity of getting approval from the State Department or the President of the United States. If that were to happen in multiple states, multiple states could unite together and do that. That's the beauty of a dual federalist system. Hmm. It is a check on the unconstitutional actions of the federal government. The commander in chief is obliged to defend the nation. When the commander in chief like this one doesn't do so on our southern border, is allowing terrorists in, is allowing uh, gang members in, is allowing petty criminals in, is allowing people in who are drug trafficking, sex sex trafficking, uh, all of these things ruinous to our nation. Uh, It is the duty of the governors to act because there is no federal presence. And that would be true regardless. We It even goes back to the Second Amendment, actually. Yes, yes, I see that, right. yes. So when it says uh, in the, in the, pre, the, 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 the pre- precatory language of the, of, the, uh, of the Second Amendment, when it refers to a free state being necessary to protect a free state, well, that language obviously uh, uh, explains the role of uh, an individual beyond uh, self-defense, right? So they're able to form a militia. They're able to participate in a militia. They're able to form groups to defend themselves. And then that leads to states. And it leads to states doing further protection and states combining together with other states. Mm-hmm. I would definitely th- say to the governors of the border states, they ought to be united by now uh, together in a movement to finance defenses. I mean, otherwise, can you imagine? They're just sitting there, many of them, mm-hmm. not not DeSantis and not Abbott, but many of the, the, uh, the, certainly in California, they're just sitting there as droves and droves, tens of thousands of people a week pour into their states. Many of them uh, are... uh, um, As you're talking about this, Jonathan, we have news that Governor Abbott in Texas has just authorized the Texas National Guard to apprehend illegal immigrants and return them to the border. So it sounds like on one level, a governor of a state is saying, I'm not waiting around for the federal government to do the job that they say they're supposed to do based on the law. And, and that's exactly what a good governor should do. I mean, you have a, you have a president who's AWOL, 
commander in chief who's AWOL. Uh, he's not going to be impeached. Politically, it's not feasible. No mm -hmm. one's going to declare him incompetent. He is incompetent. No one's going to declare him incompetent. The majority uh, uh, power, not no member of the cabinet is going to mm -hmm. raise a cabal against him. So what you have to do then is defend your state uh, because the president won't do it. Listen to this executive order, the language of it. Let me know what you think here. Uh, he says the Biden administration has abandoned the covenant in Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution yeah. that the United States shall protect each state in this union against invasion. And, and thus, you, has forced you and I talked about that, Robert. You yeah. and I have talked many times about Article 4, Section 4 and the, the essential role of protecting a republic. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. That's uh, that's perfect. He should be citing Article Four, Section Four. And then he he continues in this executive order and thus has forced the state of Texas to build a border wall, deploy state military forces, and enter into agreements as described in Article One, Section Ten of the U.S. Constitution to secure the state of Texas and repel the illegal immigrant immigration that funds the cartels. Third, further, he says, I have authorized the Texas National Guard and Texas Department of Public Safety to begin returning illegal immigrants to the border to stop this criminal enterprise endangering our communities. As the challenges on the border continue to increase, Texas will continue to take action to address those challenges caused by the Biden administration. Of course, we're going to hear the mainstream media going bonkers that Texas is now in, in, in you know, some sort of uh, uh, overreach will be the understatement. Say they're, they're now rebelling against the Constitution. You can hear and see what they're going to write about this. Yeah. And that would be utter nonsense, because as he points out, Article 4, Section 4, Article 1, Section 10 uh, are appropriately invoked. When the federal government does not act to uh, guarantee the protection of a republic in each state, does not act to call out the uh, military to defend the border states, mm -hmm. then those states become sovereign in this area. They're filling a void. They have to for the protection of the life and the liberty and the property of the people mm -hmm. of their states. And that's exact. he's doing exactly what he should do. All I would say is that he ought to be working together with other governors in other states uh, to form a union that uh, that guards the uh, their respective borders and uh, and the rest of the country too. I think I can't remember. I think it was DeSantis. Maybe I'm not sure. Hmm. Uh, Governor recently said that every state is a border state now. Yeah, basically. And well, we're gonna, I want to talk to you about the unstoppable force of liberty an article you wrote about uh momentarily i uh, just want to acknowledge that we have a lot of events upcoming one of those events both jonathan emord and i will be at uh reunited as brothers in arms and that's the health freedom expo and that's the middle of october uh the 15th and 16th i believe and it's it's in the upcoming events tab at robertscatbell.com you'll see this yes 15th and 16th uh, for those of you who haven't attended one, it's a it's a wonderful reunion, even if you've never been, because if you love health, freedom and healing liberty and all that it entails, it's a great time to come together, support one another, learn from one another, teach one another and get awesome stuff. So if you have products or services that you'd like to offer the freedom community, it's a great environment to be there. It's very reasonable to be an exhibitor and the lectures and, and we have uh, uh, health freedom panel discussions and things. It's just absolutely an amazing thing to do. And I would encourage all of you to plan ahead. If you have to drive, fly, however you get there, please join us at Tinley Park outside of Chicago. Far enough outside of Chicago, I feel good about being there, <laughs> you know, as we've seen. Uh, and there are other events coming up in the upcoming events tab. If you just click on that, uh, you'll see there's a number of things that are occurring, including uh, the National Health Freedom 
uh, Coalition and Action Group. Thanks to uh, Diane Miller. You'll see the upcoming events. We host these, uh, uh, what we call, uh, let me just pull it up. And Super Don, if you have it, I don't know if you do, but it's uh, the United States Health Freedom Congress. Not every year it happens, but the 13th one is coming back this year, September 23rd and 24th. I know, Jonathan, you've been at them before. I don't know if it's on the schedule yet for you, but I plan to be there as a voting member and, and, and help out. And we've got probably more people than ever are realizing how serious the issues that we've been discussing are and may want to participate for the first time. Well, I hope that people will take action rather than just jaw at it yeah. and vote about things. Action is needed. And I must say, one of the best things that people can do is to support those can and I mean financially support and and otherwise verbally support those candidates for federal office mm -hmm. who are standing up for liberty. And you've mentioned you've had a number on your show, Robert. Yeah, uh, we we have to really try our best uh, to uh, not be a silent majority, to but become a vocal majority. Yeah, and we will extinguish this flame of socialism that's burning across the country. And will establish as stronger than never before, I think, uh, these foundational principles of liberty, because we have had the swill of socialism poured down our throats and universally America is regurgitating it. Mm -hmm. If you find that uh, those who are supporting it, they're in such an extraordinary minority now. And I think it's a prime opportunity to take back America to ensure that those principles are followed. Yeah. And so... The action point is 2022. Get out and vote, yes. Mm -hmm. But before then, uh, support a candidate. You know, I there's a candidate in Virginia here in the 10th congressional district. His name is Hung Cao, C-A-O, last name, first name Hung. He's a he fled Vietnam uh, as a as a boy when his father was being persecuted by the communists, mm -hmm. and he's been rapidly anti-communist ever since. And he uh, uh, distinguished himself because as soon as he was able to enlist in the military of the United States as a United States citizen enlisting, he did that. And then he became a Navy SEAL. He spent 27 or so years wow. in the Navy SEALs. He uh, fought in combat, distinguished himself for bravery, won the Bronze Star. He fought in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Somalia. And this man is a hardcore pro-liberty is this uh, is this guy is he already run through the primary and will be the candidate for the fall it's so fascinating so in in it was an 11 um person republican primary 11 people were running for it mm -hmm. he shown uh so brightly above everybody else because of his un, unwavering strong defense of individual liberty of the rights of parents of, of uh, opening up the free market, of breaking down regulatory barriers, and uh, he uh, and and of a strong national defense, not a woke defense, not a woke education system, uh, but returning back to the basics. And what he uh, did was win by some thirty percent above every other of those eleven candidates. They had a strange kind of a voting system called rank uh, choice voting. Oh yeah, and it is rank. That's, that's not it a is, system, he, yeah. But he won by 30%. Uh, and now he's running against a real socialist, Jennifer Wexton. In the, in, in the general election then? In the general election in, in an area of the, the state of Virginia that is dominated by Democrats. But he's making huge headway 
and he's upwards. I, I think he's within uh, uh, a few percentage points of Wexton if if polling were allowed. I'll just, I'll just say this, Jonathan, based on your description of him, I would love to interview him on this show if you can reach out to anybody well, or connect us. I, I will do that. Okay. And I, 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 but anyway, I'm helping him as well. I've not only contributed financially to his campaign, but I'm having a fundraiser for him on September 1st at my place. And I'm inviting all of these conservatives who are willing to support his candidacy to do so. Anyone who's willing to support his candidacy ought to give me an email yeah. at jemord at emord.com. Let me know because this is a, a chance to make a huge difference. This is a guy who is solid. He's not going to waver. He's not going to become some rhino once he gets in office. Mm -hmm. He's going to be absolutely vigilant every step of the way. And I think uh, we can do that. I think we can win with him. Uh, there's also in the in, in Virginia, Robert, mm -hmm. uh, because of Youngkin's extraordinary success, the uh, General Assembly in Virginia, which is their House of Representatives, is now Republican. But the Senate only has two members, a uh, two member Democrat majority. And Youngkin's working you know, with vigor Mm -hmm. to shift that and if he does that then all this woke education stuff you read you see Loudoun County all the time in the news you see all the parents protesting against uh you know gender fluidity education and all this rot sexualizing kids before their preschool and all this horrible stuff where the innocence of children are taken away parents rights are violated with impunity their religions are violated right and left by the secular agenda in favor of making everybody trans basically uh and it's just a, it's it's horrible and it's also horrible that their whole their whole uh, crt thing continues on mm. despite youngkin's efforts to get rid of it but what i'm what i'm saying is that there is a revolution afoot in a state that was historically yeah uh, uh, for many years a blue state it's now shifting it's purple and it's mm. going to be red by 2022 well and, and of that is going to be immense and jonathan even the red states have their problems as we've seen the party machinery when it's total control there's corruption there and there are people waking up in those red states and trying to wrestle control of the party if you will from those that are secretly or now overtly globalist if you will in their activity even though they claim to be for freedom i want to invite everybody as well this weekend i'll be in indianapolis indiana for the red pill expo courtesy of g edward griffin you know the author of The Creature from Jekyll Island and A World Without Cancer, a uh, brilliant man. Uh, he's like 88 years old now, and he's still going strong, and he's seen things in his lifetime. He's an amazing, amazing man. The uh, updated uh, schedule is there, and I think, Super Don, I sent you that list. You can show it. I think I dropped it in the link real quick uh, that I'll be opening up, and I will be talking about you know the real issues of danger and damage from the COVID jabs, et cetera, uh, and I'll pepper that in throughout the weekend as, as MC. Um, uh, David Martin's talking about the old economic order is ending. Who will create the new? I'm um, just looking at some of these uh, these topics, and they're very you know they're, they don't shy from controversy. Alex Newman, one of the most well researched men in America on the history of education and how it was corrupted, is talking about communist China. Is that is it the blueprint for the new world order? In fact, it is, and we've seen the uh, Chinese Communist Party infiltration of the Democratic Party primarily, but not exclusively, but very big time, and the liberal mindset being programmed by the CCP. Uh, so that's going to be some of the discussion points. Uh, the hidden COVID agenda is transhumanism by Alana Freeland. I mean, these are very provocative topics, but your your 
you're okay. You can handle it. Peter Bregan, who I've interviewed on this show, psychiatrist, MD, he's talking about COVID-19 and the global predators. Uh, we are the prey. Uh, that's a, a, a big topic. And Peter Bregan has helped so many in a, in a good way. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, Dr. Brian Art is going to talk about the contents of what's in the vaccines themselves and uh, just a whole lot more. And it's very pragmatic and practical. What I like about Red Pill is that people that they, they come to present, they also give some action, calls to action, specific things you can do. So it is it is an action-oriented, even though it's a very education-focused weekend on a lot of topics of controversy. So uh, I appreciate everybody that'll be there or streaming it live over the internet. We have links at the upcoming events tab. Also, uh, one of the things we talk about when we talk health and healing here, many of you are uh, eating cleaner foods, taking dietary supplements, despite the limitations on the freedom of speech of those manufacturers and distributors, those products to tell you what they're for. You figured it out, but I don't want you to ruin all the good work that you're doing by spraying glyphosate around your home. Don't be doing the roundup garbage. That stuff we know causes cancer. And so yeah. as, as a quick aside, uh, our friend Tor McPartland, uh, a retired hippie as he is, real good environmentalist, put his money where his mouth is and got the, of all things, the EPA to acknowledge delimiting from orange peels, the distillate from the orange peel as a pesticide. And it is, but it's safe for kids. It's safe for pets. You can spray it around your food. You can clean your, your, your oven with it if you want. And so I thank them for supporting this message of health, freedom, and healing liberty. OrangeGuard.com. As I said, Ace Hardware's around the country do carry this product. And so I shout out to Ace, which has a more local orientation than some of those multinational hardware stores, so to speak. They do a good job. And they even take goldbacks in my locality. So you can actually pay in real money. And they'll be like, yep, we take that. That's really cool. So, Jonathan, yes, things are shifting. Things are changing. Uh, and your article is another good one I want people to read. Uh, we have it linked up. The Unstoppable Force of Liberty. What's the essence of what you're trying to communicate here? Well, uh, what I'm trying to communicate is that we ought to be terribly grateful for our founders and for the Declaration of Independence, the second paragraph, which defines what it means to be free. In, in the political sense, but it also is uh, the very definition of what it means to be an American. Uh, and, and also to recognize that this is a unique characteristic that defines the greatness of our country. In fact, you take it away and we are nothing. We are actually indistinguishable from every other wretched, wretched state in the world that is suffering under the, under the, the, foot of a, of a tyrant. And, uh, and this was understood by our founding fathers so well that they embedded into our founding documents the very uh, protections necessary to keep us free so long as we were true to the principles. And what we have now is a, an abandonment of the principles by the Biden administration, by the Democrat Party, and the solution is, of course, to get rid of them, get them out of office, vote them out, and ensure that new people come in who will protect these principles and also work to make sure that the law reflects the limits the Constitution puts on government power. And that means routing out of existence the administrative state. That means protecting individual rights as the first and foremost duty of government, not masking people, not forcing people to be vaccinated, not forcing their children to be vaccinated. And there is, thanks to uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr., a tremendous movement afoot around the world and in the United States 
that is really at root about individual sovereignty, individual liberty, the right to refuse uh, government demands that you live based on a government edict and that you become a uniform uh, soldier in an army that you have not enlisted in and that you are not drafted in. That whole idea of, of confiscating your liberties is at the heart of the Biden administration. Take away your freedoms, destroy your economy, destroy your uh, sense of security, and then you can become dependent. Mm. They want us all to become dependents. And while uh, Bobby Kennedy is a Democrat, uh, he is a civil libertarian. Yes, he is. Yeah, I respect him immensely for his position. Of course, he's alienated many of his Democratic brethren and family members. Oh, yes. Oh, his, yeah. Even his wife. Yeah. Uh, and he's a courageous man and he has done what is necessary on this vaccine issue. The vaccine issue is going to be a watershed issue in 2022, I think. And I believe that people have already made up their minds that never again in this country can we allow a government to mask us by force, mm -hmm. to tell us that we have to be vaccinated. It's one thing to use the art of persuasion and allow free debate. And that's what America is all about. But when you stifle debate, when you won't mm -hmm. allow any criticism of vaccination, when there's so much evidence that invites it, and, and even if there weren't, I mean, it's your right to criticize something like that, Correct. right yeah. to criticize government for imposing it. And uh, to deny you that right, and to deny you that essential freedom to go to work, not be harassed by government, to mm -hmm. go to a restaurant, not be harassed by government edicts, and to be able to associate, congregate, go to church. All these things were violated during the pandemic as governments, state and federal, worked to try to mm -hmm. take away our liberties and make us servile, make us well, all the bidding of the state. Jonathan, in addition to the, the mass and almost forced, if you will, poisoning via injection with the COVID jab. What about the drugging of America? You've covered this story about the prescription drugs impacting, particularly psychiatric drugs, psychotropic drugs, by approval of FDA and then and administration by doctors. Uh, aberrant uh, episodes, outbursts, angry, angry to the point of deadly shootings that are not really due to a gun, but due to a person who has lost his or her mind because the drugs themselves eliminate the governor on their behavior. Tucker Carlson did an amazing segment uh, just the other day that I got to give all props in the world for Tucker. This is the thing you're not allowed to do in, in broadcast media. Uh, and that is to link the potential uh, a drugging of a person, individual like this uh, uh, Highland Park shooting and the shooter, uh, the psychiatric drugging of this person and the link to the actual shooting itself or the behavior that was homicidal and or suicidal. And this whole history he lays out, including the fact that all of these eight, um, media outlets are also sponsored by the very drug companies that make the drugs that these kids, often young adults are on that end up perpetrating these horrendous crimes. Well, a decade ago in uh, the rise of tyranny, I explained in, in a chapter there dedicated to the SSRIs, how, those drugs, those uh, antidepressants, uh, which were being given out like candy and still are to youth in our schools and how uh, there had been this massive effort by the FDA to suppress the information associating, very strong information, associating the use of these drugs with an increased risk in suicidality and violent behavior. And uh, it took 
another decade, more than that, uh, for the FDA to finally recognize uh, the problem and put a black box warning on it. That's a cop out. Mm-hmm. That goes to physicians. It goes to some patients, and it and it's it's just uh, eliminated by virtue of the fact that the American psychiatric community and psych, psych- psychological community uh, has been recommending and prescribing uh, these things with wild abandon, un- irresponsibly by and large. And here's the deal: they shouldn't even be on the market. But no, when, it, they- when it comes to the rest of the world, I mean. Uh, based on the evidence, the very same evidence the FDA examined, the British medical authorities have refused to allow these drugs to be made available to uh, uh, teenagers. And that's the only responsible thing to do. They ought to be taken off the market entirely. But as you know, Jonathan, if this were a dietary supplement ingredient that resulted in the things that they just put a black box warning if it's a drug, but if it's a supplement, it's off the market yesterday. And you know, but criminal. And you're pointing about out. You know, we knew then. We knew this connection. We knew that we knew the threat. I've written mm-hmm. several times about this threat and about the need to to uh, guard against it. And that you know, with the Sandy Hook shooting, for example, I actually represented uh, the people in Sandy Hook who are challenging the coroner to try to get access to the medical records to show that in fact. This kid was on these psychotropic drugs. They later admitted that uh, some some ninety some odd percent of childhood shooters are on these drugs. That's mm-hmm. why that's no you know that's something that we ought to be looking at and investigating seriously. The only reason why we aren't is in large measure because of the drug lobby, because of the, mm-hmm. the drug drug money and and the media itself being funded largely by pharmaceutical uh, funds, so to speak. And therefore, the thing that is occurring in 90 percent of these cases is ignored as if it doesn't exist. What well, other thing that occurred commonly to 90 percent, you know, would be front and center? Tyranny, I, I, I talk about the doctor at the FDA who was the medical reviewer who discovered this association. He had actually before he was aware of it, he was involved in the review committee that approved these drugs. Mm-hmm. And then when he discovered it in the post uh, market surveillance context, he then raised alarm bells and, and went in the other direction. Well, they censored him, they ostracized him, they cut him off from everything, and they and they actually threatened him with, with prosecution uh, because he was willing to break ranks and tell the truth to the American people. He, he ultimately, uh, you know, really had his whole career destroyed, uh, but nevertheless, <clears throat> he's now a hero after he's no longer alive. But the fact of the matter is that this is not unusual as as uh, as chuck grassley on the former uh you know chuck grassley center chuck grassley from ida from uh, I- iowa uh has said many times and has had here committee hearings dealing with these things there is so much evidence of fda corruption and bending over backwards to defend the drug industry and actually protect the drug industry against attack mm-hmm. based on the lack of safety we remember Dr. David Graham, uh, the associate director of the FDA Office of Drug Safety, who uh, broke ranks and came over to testify before Grassley's committee and spilled the beans on uh, on a whole slew of, of drugs that were unsafe. But you'll remember his statement to the American public that uh, the FDA is, leaves the American public virtually defenseless mm-hmm. against injury because it's not protecting people against these unsafe drugs and is a patsy for the drug industry.
Oh, exactly. And you've been doing battle against that uh, oligarchy, including the FDA, that I call the Fear and Death Administration appropriately. They are responsible for approving that which is considered via the peer-reviewed medical journals, the third leading cause of death in America, far superseding whatever happened in COVID. Uh, Jonathan Emore, my friend, grateful for you as always. Thanks for uplifting the discussion of the origins of liberty. And for your, your audience to contemplate. Yes. Why on earth would you allow a child who has already exhibited violent propensities in school to continue to be drugged with these drugs that increase the risk of violent behavior and suicide. Why, why, yeah. why are the schools allowing this to happen? And isn't that really something that has to factor in, mm -hmm. in these, in these instances of, of uh, violence in the schools? How far is the reach of pharmaceutical money down to the local school levels? Indeed. And, uh, Dr. Psychiatrist Peter Bregan will join me at the Red Pill Expo. He's been very outspoken and written books on the subject as well, Jonathan. And I appreciate all your efforts to communicate this to the world, despite all of the money thrown to suppress this level of information. And shout out to Tucker Carlson for that coverage. That was a, a, an amazing thing that he did the other night. So, you know, uh, second hour, we're excited. First time guest Stephen P. Halbrook is going to join us from the Independent Institute, Jonathan. Yep, he's quite a scholar. What an honor it is to have him on the show, Robert. Oh, I, I am thrilled. And I wore this T-shirt just, you know, in honor that I knew he was coming on. I thought this is going to be a great hour, two hours, in fact, between you and he. And so thank you for being here, my brother. And I look forward to next week, next edition of the Sacred Fire of Liberty right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Back in just a moment with uh, Stephen P. Halbrook. And, uh, well, the power to heal, even politically, is yours. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. All right, hour two commences now. Defense of liberty, that's uh, a big part of what we are all about. Of course, health, freedom, and healing liberty primarily. Uh, but, you know, I don't like to hyphenate liberty. I like to recognize that's the foundational principle upon which this show rests and I rest and uh, the origin points of the, these United States rest and the uh, Declaration of Independence that we celebrate each year on the 4th of July is something we celebrate every day that we're live on the air or even pre-recorded. I'm going to be heading to the Red Pill Expo this weekend. Uh, our friend G. Edward Griffin wrote the, the seminal book that you know, The Creature from Jekyll Island, and he's put together these conferences now once or twice a year. And I hope that you'll consider joining me in Indianapolis or there's a live stream link. Go to the upcoming events page at robertscatbell.com. If you'd like to be part of our email alert system, simply text my initials RSB to 22828. Send RSB to 22828. You'll be part of the daily, uh, well, almost daily, six days a week. We get uh, uh, great news items for you to review. There's a poll question of the day as well. And uh, Super Don, I think, is it related at all to uh, the, the, the shooting that just happened uh, that we discussed briefly with uh, Jonathan Emore there at the end of hour one? Uh, you know, it's an appropriate topic at any point to link these things. When people ask the question, you know, why are these things happening? And if there's something that is occurring or related to it 90% of the time, you'd think that would be front and center as part of the investigation. You'd think so. There was a, there was a short period of time, I remember years ago, you know, just following the news and, and stuff like that, where they did ask those, those questions. Mm -hmm. They don't seem to do that anymore. 
No, other than what Tucker just, Carlson no, did. Nobody ever asked. Are they on? Were they on any kind of psychiatric medicines or drugs or something like that? Yeah. The press doesn't seem to be interested in asking that question uh, anymore. Mm-hmm. By the way, uh, congratulations, your grandpa again. Last night, uh, the baby arrived, right? Grandbaby yeah, 11, 11.20 last night. I was prepared for this because I'm yes. a grandpa. Yes. Uh, ah, look at Autumn that. Autumn was born. Autumn. This, this, this is my, actually, technically, this would be my sixth grandchild. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Riley, uh, we had Riley all day yesterday. Well, mm-hmm. mom, 15 hours of labor. Wow. And uh, look last at that. night, she, she got to... Got to see mom Aww. and the new the new little sister. Sweet. So yeah, the Naylor extended that. family doing its doing its part to prevent population reduction. Thank you for your support. <laughs> no thanks it. to the Georgia Guidestones, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. Forget right. them; they're gone now. They've been raised <laughs> since yesterday. Not only it blew up, then they they're gone. All they're out of yeah. there. Yeah. Enough of that. Nonsense. In fact, our poll of the day is regarding that. We'll probably talk about that in bonus time. Okay, well, let's bring on, for the first time ever on the Robert Scott Bell Show, he's a prolific author, attorney, he's won cases at the Supreme Court level. Jonathan Ebord speaks highly of him, that's all I need to know. Stephen Palbrook joins us from independent.org, or the Independent Institute. Stephen, welcome to the Robert Scott Bell Show. Good to see you, Robert. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm really honored to have you on board. I'm excited. You see the shirt I'm wearing. Just, you know, yeah. I'd wear it even if you weren't here, but even more excited that you're here to talk about defense of our right to self-defense. And the misunderstandings are a plenty out there, yet around the world, as country after country gave up their right to keep and bear arms, or at least the privilege that the government allowed them to have, they recognized how vulnerable they became in Australia, New Zealand, etc. And those that have awakened in a real way have said to the American people, all of you and me, never give up your arms or else you will have nothing left to beat back the tyranny that seems to be inevitable by any form of government throughout the history of mankind right to today. Well, I mean, there's a lot of um, bad spots around the world, but there's also room for optimism. Um, Our right to keep and bear arms was strengthened immensely last week by the Supreme Court decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. Uh, in other parts of the world, uh, people are realizing that they they should have a right to keep and bear arms, and I would include Brazil, the Czech Republic. Switzerland is still hanging on. So there are other places in the world where the right to keep and bear arms is, is recognized by a major part of the population. Mm-hmm. And there are governments in power, which uh, to some extent respect that right more than before. So things are looking up, but uh, I have to say this opinion written by justice Clarence Thomas. Uh, I mean, what a, that's like a hitting a home run with bases loaded. Um, for years now, there have been certain States that don't, respect the right to bear arms. You know, the Second Amendment, of course, provides in part that the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And those states included New York, uh, California, the usual nanny state suspects. Mm -hmm. And the Supreme Court said, no, uh, you don't get to pick and choose who you give gun, gun permits to based on an arbitrary, subjective opinion that you have that most people don't deserve to exercise that right. So in in New York state, for example, we have the problem that, uh, particularly New York city, the only people who got gun permits were billionaires, celebrities, 
and per, people who paid the right bribes to the New York licensing division. Uh, they people paid money. They mm-hmm. provided prostitutes. They gave tickets for Caribbean vacations, ball games. Wow, n- nice power to have where people throw anything your way just to get something that you and I believe and perceive is a right that doesn't require a permission slip from government. But the government having that power loves the lavish gifts and other things that they get for doing so. And I think wasn't part of the rule in New York, maybe in California, is that you have to have exigent circumstances. In other words, you have to show me there's a a real severe present threat to your life to then we'll maybe consider giving you the permission to allow to defend yourself. I mean, you know, that's an absurd aberration of what the founders had set up. And then that second amendment, which is seem seemingly unambiguous and clear, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. There's no other constitutional right, which got such disrespect where you have to get the permission of some government official who could deny you on a whim to exercise that right. If you were a person of influence, part of the ruling elite, you could get a, a carry permit. If you were just a common person, uh, Irishmen need not apply. Mm-hmm. So it, it was the same situation as let's say you're a person who cleans offices. You get off late at night You're in Manhattan. You got to like go out to Brooklyn or something and ride the subway. You don't deserve a, a carry permit. You have to be able to prove that like this coming Thursday, somebody specific is going to attack me. Uh, and even then the, the authority would say, Oh, well, they're, the police are there to protect you. So, uh, for example, the court decision said things like, even if you live in a high crime neighborhood, that's not good enough uh, to get a permit. You have to be somebody really unique. And, of course, the way they administered that, it's only influential people. And that was never envisioned by the, the founders. And the, the case was pretty crazy. There were... Amicus briefs, friend of the court briefs filed on both sides uh, out the kazoo. There were many of them. Um, New York and, and its friends argued basically, well, we there's this long English tradition going back to 1328, the statute of Northampton, uh, that only the king, the uh, persons licensed by the king can carry arms. It's like, please, we have a Second Amendment. We had an American Revolution. Don't tell us what the monarchical practice was from medieval England, mm-hmm. uh, Justice Thomas basically ridiculed that theory that somehow this statute from 1228 is going to replace the Second Amendment, please. And, and in fact, it was British kings who started disarming the people, James II specifically, that led to the Glorious Revolution. 1688 and then recognition in the English Declaration of Rights of 1689, uh, recognizing the right of Protestants to have arms. Of course, that was more limited than what we ended up with. Ours says the right of the people to keep and bear arms. We went through our revolutionary period. You know, they go out to disarm the patriots at Lexington and Concord. We whooped them good. Hmm. Uh, But most people don't realize part of the history was that General Gage, who was in charge of the British forces, ordered that all the inhabitants of Boston be disarmed. They hadn't even taken part in any hostilities. They had to turn in their guns. And that was one of the causes listed by the Continental Congress for taking up arms in 1775, that uh, they, uh, they disarmed the people 
that's one reason we ended up with the Second Amendment, that this British practice of trying to disarm and oppress and exploit the colonies, that was unacceptable. Well, one one of the things that we've seen recently uh, since that Supreme Court decision that shot down the New York, no pun intended, rule that set the high bar for what so-called concealed carry licenses that was almost unobtainable unless you influence them in some way. Uh, New York since then, apparently, uh, Hochul, Governor Hochul, what does she see about the Second Amendment that uh, she can overturn it? And they called it a nullification decision of the Supreme Court ruling. Oh, uh, what what has happened here since then? Well, of course, she um, squawked about the ruling, how horrible it is. And then she instituted a policy that the legislature quickly followed in passing a new law. I'm, I call it the the Empire State Strikes Back instead of the Empire Strikes Back. Um, they're making it more onerous on gun owners than ever before. They're trying to get revenge. So we start out with people who have carry permits. There are certain places they cannot carry and that would be, of course, courts, prisons, uh, certain government buildings, things like that. Okay, fair enough. So now what they've done is, being that they can no longer deny permits based on a subjective view by a government agent that you have don't have a proper purpose, um, we're going to make it where existing permit holders and any, any new ones cannot carry in, on public transit. That includes the, the subway system, which, which is crime-ridden, um, parks, all kinds of places that were never off-limits before are going to be off-limits now. We also have the travesty that there's a, another part of the law uh, in New York, and there's a similar phrase in California that says uh, you have to have good moral character. It's an old-fashioned term, and basically it used to mean that, well, you're you're like a person with too many drunken public convictions and you beat your wife and, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now to get good moral character uh, uh, approved, they're going to look at your social media. They're going to look at whether, have you ever stated anything that's like hate speech speech or uh, anything racist? And of course they're, they're going to be the ones to determine that the woke people are going to determine that. Uh, yeah, well, def- you have people in government with with wouldn't recognize good moral character if it was <laughs> right. You know, that's a, an absurd level of again restriction. Uh, is this going to be challenged, likely, and go back up to the Supreme Court as well? Uh, you know, there's going to be all kinds of challenges to these new laws. Um, new York and California. New York has already passed the law. California already has enunciated the, a new policy without bothering to, to change the statute. Uh, New Jersey, Maryland, Hawaii, we don't know exactly what they're going to do yet. Uh, These are the other nanny states that have similar policies. But uh, yeah, there's going to be so much litigation from this. We start out with, okay, you don't allow people the right to bear arms, and the Supreme Court fixes the situation. All these states had to do was to cross out, you have to prove this proper purpose or whatever your your subjective, arbitrary... Mm -hmm criteria was going to be, but they can't take a a recognition of a constitutional right. They're going to just bear down in other ways. Mm. And so that's where we're headed. But think about it this way. Before there were firearms, if we go back to ancient Greece and Rome, we had the same problem. You have the rulers and the ruled. You have the elites who want total power. 
That would be those who formed oligarchies or tyrannies in ancient Athens, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would attempt to disarm the people so they could overpower them. If you were, if you go back to your philosophy 101 class, uh, Socrates talked about the 30 tyrants in Athens, and they disarmed the people uh, and attained power that way. They were later overthrown. Mm-hmm. But the pendulum goes back and forth throughout history, yeah. doesn't it, For, between freedom and slavery, different kinds of slavery. And, well, and, and, and we Stephen, if you are removed from your right of self-defense, the question is, and who owns you? Is the government claim ownership of your body? It says, we'll protect you. And of course, even police forces aren't there to protect you. They're there to react to crimes. Yeah, they could be a deterrent in some cases, but they're not going to be there. The, the ones that are, let's say, when the gun's pointing at you, it's a little late to say, hey, police, help. Where are you? So the point is to have the right to keep and bear arms in that present moment, that ever-present moment where the threats can pop up out of nowhere. Now, another aspect or layer of the freedom, the right to keep and bear arms is not registering them. Uh, What we found recently in California is that uh, gun owners there were doxxed for the purpose of harassment. It's like, where in the Constitution does it say, well, all right, you have a right to keep and bear arms, but the government needs to know that you have them, so register that firearm with the government. I'm like, uh uh-uh, sorry, not happening. I know what happens when you're on the list. Eventually, they're going to come to get those things or tell people about it, and then you are at risk for direct targeting from other agents, agencies, or uh, let's say uh, active players that are not official that are acting in deranged scenarios because they're on psychotropic medication, as I discussed with Jonathan Emord last hour a little bit. Look, there's a long history of attempts to use gun registration for confiscation. I I authored a book called Gun Control of the Third Right, Disarming the Jews and Enemies of the State. To make it quick, in the Weimar Republic, they passed gun registration. They said, don't let these records fall into the hands of extremist elements. And just a few months later, the Nazi Party took power. Those were the extremist elements. They immediately began using the registration records to confiscate guns from social Democrats and regular Democrats and all of their political enemies. And then we move up to 1938, the night of the broken glass. They disarmed the Jewish population. They had the registration records. They knew who had the guns. And, right. and what did they do next? And so we have the same problem. Yeah, these, these people in California, look, they knew in advance these records were going to get leaked out like that. California passed a law saying that we're going to allow these anti-gun research organizations to have access to those records. And it was warned that the records are going to get disseminated publicly. And the time came when I understand uh, on the official website, anybody could, could download this stuff. Um, or, or it could have been somebody who worked in the California Department of Justice mm-hmm. who holds these records. You know, it only takes yeah. one person, just like the person who leaked the Supreme Court opinion. Yeah. Um, it just takes one bad apple. Uh, or we've got the problem of, shoot, Germany... Uh, computerized their registration records and proudly announced it back in about, I think, 2013. Um, I I had a discussion with the technician who was in charge of that. And I said, look, our Pentagon records get get broken into. How can you say this is a secure system? I mean, in the European Union, they share these electronic records between all these member nations. That's right. one you thing think we you have privacy country, because the, the government holds the records? Think again. They will use it against you in any way, shape, or form, especially, again, knowing that uh, an armed populace is uh, a, a populace that can be 
well, let's say it's less controllable ultimately, even though I, I, I have argued that the American populace have been uh, controlled via their fear of germs, and we have to overcome that as well. By the way, if you're just joining us, uh, Stephen Halbrook is our guest this hour. His latest book, as far as I can see, uh, released last year called The Right to Bear Arms, A Constitutional Right of the People or a Privilege of the Ruling Class. And uh, Stephen, this is uh, clearly a, a book that needs to be read, although you probably have to add to it now that that Supreme Court decision just came down, much less the attempts by New York and California to subvert it. Look, the book was written for this opinion. Um, about two years ago, I, I published the book. Uh, or rather, I, I started seriously writing it. About a year mm -hmm. ago, I published it. Just a few days later, the Supreme Court granted review of the New York case. It, it was looking to me like the right to carry arms was going to be the next subject that the court may well address. And sure enough, they, they did. And there's a lot of research in the book. Uh, that you'll find reflected in the Supreme Court decision, research about the practices in, in England of old, um, reconstruction in our history. Uh, after the Civil War, you had the, the Black Codes being reenacted in the southern states in attempts to uh, disarm African-Americans. Um, and one reason we adopted the 14th Amendment in 1868 was to protect that right on the behalf of all citizens, regardless of race or color. Um, so there's a, a lot in the book that goes well beyond the um, lengthy and excellent opinion by J Justice Thomas in the New York case. So if, 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 if that decision got you interested, look at the book. I think you'll find a lot more of interest. Um, you know, if, if you look at 1791, when the Second Amendment was adopted, there were no regulations about carrying of arms other than in a hostile or aggressive manner. This is one thing Justice Thomas points out in detail. What kinds of restrictions were acceptable to uh, under the original understanding of the Second Amendment? Well, you couldn't carry arms in a way to terrorize others. That was called carrying arms uh, in a dangerous and unusual way. And you there were certain states that adopted regulations on concealed carry, but other than that, they didn't disarm anybody. There were a few places where you couldn't carry. You couldn't go into a court or a jail, uh, but those are the kind of narrow exceptions that the court said would be allowed today. But you can't say all of Manhattan is a sensitive place where you can ban guns. And, and so there's a lot in that opinion. Also, it's, it calls into question broader issues under uh, various gun prohibitions. Um, one thing that courts have been doing lately in upholding bans on ordinary rifles that they, they like to derogatorily call assault weapons, um, they don't not only look at the text and history of the Second Amendment, they next go to the second step where they do a balancing test. It's, they call it intermediate scrutiny. They look at the government interest and they look at the citizens' interests, and, and the government interest always balances out the citizens' interests. So if, if, you, if a state passes a law and it, it, it declares certain guns so-called assault weapons, uh, that, that's good enough. And these, these courts that uphold these laws, by the way, know absolutely nothing about guns. Well, they know nothing about rights either because rights are individual, not collective. And you're, you're weighing an individual right against uh, an ill-defined collective? 
you mean do these people and do they learn about collectivism in law school to become a, you know monetless attorneys but then uh, judges that they rule on a, a nefarious you know glob of mush and say that your right as an individual to defend yourself it, it it pales in comparison to the right to defend what i mean you know what i'm saying it's just so i don't know how they defend their position on these things well speaking of collective back in the 60s they adopted a brand new interpretation of the second amendment attempting to subvert it they called it the collective rights view they said well the people doesn't really mean the people when it, the second amendment right of the people to keep and bear arms it doesn't really mean the people it means the states it means the national guard so this means that we can have a national guard and and bloody 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 and these people cared nothing about the national guard basically i mean back then they probably hated it uh, but they invented this this theory and they said, well, nobody has a right to keep and bear arms, but states can maintain militias. And they kept making that stupid argument all the way up until 2008 mm. when the Supreme Court in a wonderful decision by Justice Scalia, District of Columbia versus Heller, held that no, the people means the people. There's no right to be in a militia, you know. Justice Stevens argued in the dissent, well, this only means you have a right to bear arms in a militia. I mean, that was pretty stupid. There, there's yeah. no right to be in a militia even. <laughs> They'll take you if, if you volunteer and then they tell you what to do. You don't have a right to do anything in particular. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of doctrines that get made up. You know, after, after the Supreme Court said in Heller that they can't ban the keeping of arms, like handguns in the home, the, the next anti-gun argument, well, that's right, but... Um, you, we can ban the bearing of arms. It, it only applies in the home. Like, okay, you can bear arms between your kitchen and your bedroom, yeah. but you can't oh. go outside. How, how long did that argument last? Well, it lasted all the way up until last week. Right, right. Stunning. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the, uh, the movement on for states to reinitiate what, what, what's now being called constitutional carry, the idea that not only can you bear arms, but you can carry in a concealed manner and you don't have to, once again, ask permission, special permit uh, of the government to be able to do so. This idea of the original understanding of the right to keep and bear arms, including to keep them hidden for uh, defensive and protective purposes. So I see that on the state level, a lot of nullification type action uh, in support of the individual right at the state level to push back on even before a Supreme Court makes a ruling like it did. That was a good one. Let's look at the scoreboard here. We've had six states that banned the right to bear arms, and now the Supreme Court has ruled against them. We have Vermont, which since 1777, uh, under its constitution, has never restricted concealed or open carry. And now th that leaves 43 states that have permitting processes. But at this point, half of those states, 24, maybe 25 by now, have constitutional carry, as you say. You don't have to have a permit. Look, if you're a felon and you're caught, uh, you're going to do time. Um, but it's never been the case just by having your law in the books that you're going to restrict that people who are intent on committing crimes, that they're going to pay regard to these laws, particularly mm -hmm. like, a, oh, it's a gun-free zone. I can't go there. I can kill people other places. So um, it's looking up. I mean, we've had more and more states adopting constitutional carry. If you're a law-abiding citizen, it's it's lawful for you to carry concealed or, or openly. Not every state allows open carry, but most do. 
and and um, so that's that's where things have been heading in recent um, years and even decades mm. in favor of recognition of this right to carry. So on the one hand, we have the anti-gun people being more strident than ever, having advocating total gun bans, total bans on semi-automatic rifles, for example. Um, but on the other hand, what's been happening in the states, we can really cheer about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a good, good things happening despite the bizarre realities within a Biden administration that I don't know that he's able to speak without a, a, a script, but even with a script, he's having trouble. And, and, and I don't know who's at this point pulling the strings, but I'll say on the issue of uh, the right to keep and bear arms, the, the trend is a good one, despite New York trying to say, well, well now we'll limit where you can do it. It's like, I don't think that's going to fly long-term either. Now your uh, is this, considered your institute when we go to independent.org the independent institute uh or is this something it's a collaboration with a lot of folks and tell us a little bit more about that maybe my uh listeners and viewers want to participate somehow support uh the independent institute it's a collaboration with many people um, primarily scholars so uh it's in oakland california it was uh founded maybe by the late 80s by david thoreau um, it brings together a number of scholars. I'm a senior fellow with the Institute. I'm in private practice of law. That's mm-hmm. my real job. Uh, but the Institute has published some of my books and we've had a good relationship. Um, it's basically, uh, an organization in favor of constitutional rights, free markets, liberty. Um, if it's an issue between restrictions by government and freedom. It's on the side of freedom, basically. So it's, it's a libertarian conservative kind of organization. So uh, if you want to look it up, it, they, they've got a lot of good publications and different programs. Yeah, I'm, I'm reviewing it right now. It's a pretty extraordinary, great resource, including the, the people as, affiliated with it. Uh, extraordinary number of books. If those of you who still read books, I encourage you yeah. to do so. <laughs> and your right. and your latest book as well. Are you working on any uh, new books that we should know about, or, or any articles that we should link to? I'm working on different projects. Um, I've done a lot in terms of writing and litigation on the issue of banning America's rifle, which is what the AR-15 is. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a new article that's coming out uh, in Georgetown Review of Law and Politics. It's on entitled the second amendment was adopted to protect freedom not slavery there's a a myth that was created by anti-gun people trying to say that well the second amendment was adopted to protect slavery yeah right um the problem with slavery is that that was a violation and not of just human rights but all the bill of rights guarantees you know the bill of rights talks about the rights of the people uh not not selected people so um there's a lot um going on right now um you know because of the reaction of these different states to the supreme court decision there's a lot of people going into new areas Uh, the focus up until now has been on the right to carry because that's where the case was in the supreme court that was the topic uh and now that they're throwing up new restrictions on the right um you're going to see people publishing on what what are sensitive places you know the um the court allows for gun bans in sensitive places that that's courts and prisons things like that and uh, but justice thomas wrote that you can't make all of manhattan a sensitive place unlimited expansion is not uh going to fly i think to and it's not going to i think 
survive scrutiny, much less court challenges, even though it's a kind of a pain to have to do court challenges to things that seemingly are so obviously wrong. Yeah, that, I mean, that that's going to go on. Another um, thing to consider is the experiences of 2020. First, we had COVID. Then we had the riots. Uh, then we had the election. Um, so people bought more guns than ever before. I think a third of the new, uh, a third of the gun buyers are new newbies to the scene. They're people who never owned a gun before. Large numbers of those are are women and minority groups, uh, African Americans, Hispanics. Um, a, a lot more people are, are buying guns because they recognize that that's their ultimate guarantee of defending themselves and their families. It used to be said when seconds count, the police are minutes away. But if you were calling 2020, you could call the police 911 and they'd say service is not available. That's because they're undergoing a riot and there's no nobody available to respond to any call. So e- even those who I think were anti-gun before, many of those I think now realize that um, you're your first protector and it's always going to be that way. And keep in mind, there's, there's mm-hmm. broader issues at stake here yeah. beyond um, individual self-defense or defense of your home and your family. Mm-hmm. The, the founders looked at the, the big picture. Um, they were armed and they defeated the, the biggest tyrannical power of the world at the that world. point. Yeah, that, that's yeah. right. And so yeah. the purpose of the right to keep and bear arms is not just to defend your own person from a robber uh, no. or a murderer. Read the Declaration of Independence and you'll understand what this is about. But to bring up the, the specific verbiage within the Declaration of Independence would have you brought up on charges of a potential insurrectionist at this point or a domestic terrorist. Well, they're, they're going to have to indict Supreme Court justices who, in the majority in the Heller case, said that one of the purposes of the Second Amendment is prevention of tyranny. Yeah. Um of course, it's other purposes that are very broad, like defense against invasion. We see how that's being played out in Ukraine right now. Um, they had or, a lot of restrictions, and, yeah. th- and then they were just giving rifles out to 25,000 people all of a sudden. Um, but yeah. uh, I like to think about it this way. We, we've, had a, a, we've had plenty of oppression in this country, but like outlined in the Declaration of Independence, it's only when it goes so far that it's, it's the majority of people realize mm-hmm. uh, this is just so unacceptable. And th- it's only then that um, the government can be questioned and new guards can be obtained for our security in the words of the declaration. It, it's not this or that. Okay. The gas prices are going way too high because of Joe Biden. We don't have a revolution because of that. But when things get so bad, that, so oppressive uh, in a manner that the, the founders would have considered uh, appropriate. Oh, we are so far beyond what King George was doing to the colonies at this point. It's it's ridiculous, but it tells you the tolerance of a peaceful people to put up with a lot before they may have to. As uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote, um, the tree of liberty must be watered with the blood of tyrants and patriots uh, from time to time. Uh, because of the loss of uh, that vigilance, that eternal vig- vigilance and diligence in defense of the liberty that was so hard won uh, through the Revolutionary War uh, to the, de- you know, from the Declaration of Independence forward through the Articles of Confederation and the Constitution and the various amendments, including the first 10, which, by the way, I remind you, did not grant us one single right 
It acknowledged rights that existed or pre-existed any government institution that come from a creator or God, not government. And I think that's another aspect of, you know, the nuance of communication and, and language as well. When we talk about constitutional rights, I'm like, they're not rights granted by the Constitution. I have to remind people they're rights by virtue of your very existence and breathing that God granted you. And we must defend them because government always inevitably finds a way to usurp them if we let it happen. They're pre-existing rights, and the Supreme Court made that clear in the Heller decision. You know what the test was for our founders? Look, when, when they had the tax on tea and on paper and all of that, they protested. Uh, they took certain actions like throwing the tea into the, the river and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, there was not armed resistance. You know when that happened? It was when General Gage sent the Redcoats out to Concord to seize the arms that the colonists had for their own then protection. It, then it was on. Yeah. Private they knew. property. And once that took place, this is, that's what crossed the line. That was the red line mm-hmm. the, the Brits came out. They saw the, the colonials in Lexington and the commander of the British said, throw down your arms, you rascals, you dirty rascals, throw down your arms. Somebody fired a shot and it all started then. And I'll, I'll tell you what, it, it's pretty incredible what the colonists did against these professional soldiers. Um, yeah. Once they ran them out of Concord, all the way back to to virtually to Boston, the colonists were there um, sniping at them. Uh, they would snipe from one place and they'd go down to the next place behind um, stone walls and whatnot. And they used their squirrel rifles, their hunting guns, whatever they had. And they ran the Brits all the way back to Boston. Mm-hmm. Well, and we know, again, as we discuss this, Stephen and I are not advocating violence, but recognizing the history of, of the world, much less governments of the world and our history in the United States, that uh, from time to time, you must acknowledge that tyrants will use, in fact, violence against you. And you have to be willing to let them know that that will not go uh, undefended and there will be a response. And at that point, we'll find out if they have the cowardice, I predict, or the American people uh, remain cowards or no longer hold true to the principles that our founders had established or really left us with in terms of uh, a declaration, much less the constitution that we still have today. Uh, you've written so many books, uh, Stephen. I have a, a list of them here in super Don. You got that. Yeah. Look at the founder's second amendment origins of the right to bear arms. I think that sounds like a, a foundational book for those that are new to the second amendment. The concepts of it might be a good one to read. I love that you bring up the uh, gun control in the third Reich as with my Jewish heritage, I, I really shout out to the uh, uh, Jews for the preservation of firearms ownership, uh, recognizing that if they hadn't given up their guns, they could have taken out a lot of Nazis along the way. Might not have prevented it altogether, but it would have been a lot harder. Um, you've got books on the Swiss and the Nazis, then now the right to bear arms, as we talked about, uh, and more. Uh, are there any other books that you'd like to, of your <laughs> period of books that you'd say, if, if, if somebody's just starting out, that, that you'd recommend to pick up? Well, my first book was called That Every Man Be Armed, The Evolution of a Constitutional Right. That book has been republished. It's available. That goes back to ancient times, and it goes into the origin of the right. You have, what did Aristotle and Cicero and those great Republican thinkers of ancient times say about this right? Because it is something that, uh, it's an issue, freedom or slavery, that is a pendulum throughout all of history. Um, And it brings up the issue through English history and then how we inherited our rights as Englishmen and then the English turned on us 
Mm -hmm. um, so it goes into the American Revolution and all the way up to, to modern times, recognition by, of, of the right by the courts. Um, it, it, some courts didn't like recognizing the right. I mean, we've got a whole period between the 70s and 2008 when a lot of federal courts said, well, there is no right. And they, they made no attempt to analyze the language of the Second Amendment. Um, no, they just didn't like it. So right, exactly. Is, we don't like it, so it doesn't exist. And, and you know, you got to defend against that again usurpation of the limitations of their power in government and on all branches of government. And uh, yet, it's taken how many decades since then to make some course corrections all the way up to the Supreme Court level. Uh, and for that matter, if the Supreme Court didn't get it right, remember the Tenth Amendment and uh, the ability to not cooperate with officers of the union, so to speak, the non-commandeering doctrine, that kind of thing as well, in terms of the enforcement of federal gun laws that violate uh, these, you know, Second Amendment protected, if you will, rights that are ours that precede these uh, amendments, so to speak, as well. There's a couple of organizations that I know there's probably many more. And I, I've been a, a, a critic of the National Rifle Association, NRA. I think they've compromised tremendously on on uh, the absolute right of, of, of defense and, and right to keep and bear arms, whereas I really appreciate Gun Owners of America, the GOA, which seems to hold truer to that uh, you know written constitution as an individual right without compromise. Do you have any opinion that you can share about organizations that are supportive of that right to keep and bear arms without compromise? Well, I, I basically work with everybody who works toward the Second Amendment in, in any given context. Um, I don't get involved in fights between different organizations. I think we're all fellow travelers. And I, I think that um, what my focus is has always been on is litigation and scholarship. Uh, I'll let the other people argue with each other. Um, but, but I think it's important to realize the American people are the ones really um, who are able to decipher what the Second Amendment means. And if you go back to the origin in 1791, the basic understanding was the right to keep and bear arms existed. People, it was basic to them. They never questioned it. And the St. George Tucker was the first scholar to write a commentary about the Constitution. That was in 1791. And he said, you know, the Bill of Rights was written so ordinary people can understand their rights. It's, it's not something for the government to interpret or misinterpret. Mm -hmm. uh, it, the Second Amendment is for ordinary people to understand. And if you turn the clock up until the 60s and 70s of, of the last century, you had hotty toddy organizations like the American Bar Association saying that, well, the majority of Americans wrongly think that they have an individual right to keep and bear arms. Mm -hmm. And we see who's the laughing stock now. Yeah. Um, or or the AMA and the CDC, these medical organizations, so-called or scientific organizations saying we now say that owning a gun in your home is a health issue and we need to know if you have it. So they, they authorize the asking you know, the pediatric association, every every child, even without the parent present. Hey, do you have guns in your home? Thinking this is a real strange way to uh, usurp the right to keep and bear arms to claim that it's a health, a threat to health. Yeah, look, it's medical malpractice for them to take a position on a constitutional right and to say that's part of, of the doctor-patient relationship. That, that's insane. Hmm. Uh, and these are people, these are parts of the, these are the elites. They live in ritzy neighborhoods. They have plenty of protection. They don't yeah, really care got about the common. Yeah. yeah, they don't care about the common people. I mean, many of them are hypocrites. They'll have guns 
and and they object though this the so-called common people have guns mm-hmm. um you know they're just a bunch of rednecks or black criminals whatever they think of them mm-hmm. um th- they're ordinary people and they have guns to protect themselves so mm-hmm. um this that's why the subtitle of my new book the right to bear arms is a constitutional right of the people or a privilege of the ruling class the ruling class thinks it's their privilege and and they're going to keep reacting they're going to keep fighting against the so-called people the common people in their perception um but they're not going to get away with it I, i think in the future and we've seen this the people expressing themselves that's why you have at the state level so many states recognizing constitutional carry uh, or if not that, at least the ability to have a permit available to everyone who goes through the background check. Yeah. Well, my perspective here is don't ask for permission where none is required. And it, when, when it comes to exerting your rights, it's not a permission slip, <laughs> you know, that is uh, uh, allowing me to exert my rights, uh, any of them. And none of them are, uh, you know, it's not an exhaustive list as well. And within the 10th, uh, 10 amendments, if you will, the bill of rights, it's not an exhaustive list. They, there's more than that. But the point is, uh, if we look at the government as our overlords and owners, then we will ask permission. Like when we're a kid asking mom or dad, if we can stay out late or can we have an extra piece of pie as an adult in the United States? No, I'm not going to behave as if the government is my mommy or daddy. And we've got to grow up and become mature politically as well as spiritually to recognize again, that our rights come from a a creator from God, not government. And Stephen Halbrook, I appreciate so much all of your efforts. Um, I'm only sad that it's taken this long to get you on my show. Um, look, Robert, you didn't ask me before. <laughs> Whatever. No, no it's I'm, not. Yeah, it's not on you. Yes, it's on me. I'm, I'm glad. Really glad to be on the show. I, I appreciate it. Uh, you've got a great show, and I heard some of the dialogue with your prior guest, and uh, it reminds me when the so-called people going postal that started back in the mm-hmm. '80s one of the drugs was it, it very much at issue. It seemed like all those people were taking that drug who, who yes. ended up going postal. So that's really yet another issue that needs to be looked into more thoroughly. Yeah. And as I say, Peter Bregan, who will be with me at the red pill expo, a psychiatrist, medical doctor has been exa- exhaustive in his, in his uh, writings, publications as a physician and scientist about the danger of these psychotropic medications approved by the FDA one of the books, Prozac, uh, Panacea or Pandora. Uh, I mean, this is on and on. And when you say 90% of the, the so-called shootings by young people, school shootings otherwise, are on under the influence of not illicit street drugs, but FDA-approved psychiatric or psychotropic drugs, how is this not front and center the first thing that is investigated at, at every level? And then you know, as Jonathan Emord said, the power of the pharmaceutical lobby and the pharmaceutical money in advertising supporting the legacy media. They won't question the, the, you know, the so-called hand that feeds them. They won't bite it. And so it's up to independent media um, podcasters now as well, a little bit of talk radio to speak out of it, but we don't even hear it much on talk radio. So kudos to Tucker Carlson for doing that uh, expose the other night. And uh, uh, really appreciate you acknowledging that as well, Stephen. Glad to do it. Good to see you. All right, Stephen Halbrook here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. First time, hopefully not the last. And I hope you'll pick up his new book, The Right to Bear Arms, A Constitutional Right of the People or a Privilege of the Ruling Class. That's the question as we continue here. A few more minutes before we go into the bonus round. And I think we've got a few things to cover, including a question of the day uh, as well. And again, links are up in the show notes to Stephen and all that he does with independent.org. So you guys check that website out and follow up on all the good things he's doing as well. All right, Super D, I think we do have, uh, if I'm not, uh, oh, it's about goldbacks. One of my favorite topics, Super D. 
Go, can we run this question? All right. This question of the day is listed in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. And it's from Bill. He says, hi, guys. Could you please talk about goldbacks? E.g., what are the cost of goldbacks? Do they come in for uh, $1 or $5 or $10, etc.? How much should one have on hand? Is there a limit as to how much one can purchase? Okay, so let's start there. Goldbacks are not denominated in dollar amounts. They don't pretend to be Federal Reserve notes. They don't pretend to be dollars or replacements of dollars. They are legal tender in a number of states right now. Um, uh, Utah, Nevada, New Hampshire, I think Wyoming's coming on, and other states that have established gold and silver as lawful money again. They will eventually adopt goldbacks, I believe, because the inevitability of the crash of the Federal Reserve note being inflated into oblivion. And don't think that this pause by rising interest rates is going to last, because as I said, and I'm not the only one saying it, if you look at the servicing of the debt, which you cannot question according to one of the amendments, they cannot service that debt if they increase interest rates. It will be untenable and it will collapse. So they're going to have to return to the printing presses of not old, but of recent times. So if you think QE one, two, and three were bad, hyperinflation is, we may be arguably in the midst of the beginning of it, but it's, it's a reality right now. And therefore we must make plans to have a way to exchange economically at a time when the value of the federal reserve dollar is going to collapse or is collapsing. It's not just gas prices. That's, there's a lot of uh, reasons this is happening. So there's a one gold back, which has, uh, was it one, one thousandths of a, of a troy ounce of gold. And there's a, uh, let's say a 50 gold back note, so to speak, which has one twentieth of an ounce, troy ounce of gold. And then there's a, a five, a 10 and a 25. And each of them based on the weight, the amount of gold in it is his exact, let's say numerical relationship. So a five gold back note has five times as much gold as a one, a 10 has 10 times as much as a one, a 25 has 25 times as much as a one. It has five times as much as a five. And the 50 gold back note has double the amount in a 25 and 50 times more than the single gold back note. So just weights and measures are indeed returned. Now, there is a so-called exchange rate on the gold back website, goldback.com, I believe. So if you're a retailer or if you want to know how much, and this is sort of messed up because the Federal Reserve note is so artificial in terms of its value that we trying to value gold as it relates to the Federal Reserve note dollar. And that's backwards. In reality, it's always the same amount of gold, no matter how you ascribe the value based on fiat floating currencies, for instance. Yet we still have some framework as a re- if you're a retailer to say, well, how much is it? So they do that as a service to kind of keep that, not to prop up the artifice of, of, of gold as it's valued in Federal Reserve notes, but because most people are operating in it. So you have the ability to work that way. And yes, people buy it and they resell it for stupid money on eBay because they're beautiful or they're collectible. At the same time, the design of these things is for use. Get it into circulation now. It's kind of like don't wait to grow food only when you're hungry. And in other words, don't wait to start circulating and paying for stuff in gold backs or other things until you have to. By then it's too late because nobody knows what's going on. They're so lost. Make it a practice. That's a shout out to, you know, a certain ace hardwares in, in, in the local communities because they are, they are independent and they say, you know what, this is a local currency. We want to support it and we're going to exchange and we're going to do that. And there are uh, a number of uh, retailers in those states I mentioned that are already saying we accept gold backs. 
In fact, the gym I go to is just agreed to do that as well. So I pay for my membership in Goldbacks. And so practice trading in real things, things of, uh, of inherent value that are substantial. In other words, they can't be inflated because the amount of gold is the amount of gold is the amount of gold versus the Federal Reserve note backed by the full faith and credit up, you know, you know what I'm saying? And that's a, a weak position to be in in terms of savings and utilization long term. Second question from Bill as we wrap up the show today and we'll go into the bonus round in a moment. Bent Knight Clay, uh, let's say Perry A, a nutritionist, says the clay is good to take daily. It won't interfere with the good flora and only the bad. Uh, it won't interfere with medicine or supplements or food. Other nutritionists say use it away from food and medicine and supplements, and it will take out the good and bad flora. What do you think, Bill? Well, the primary mechanism of action, as far as I understand it, of bentonite clay is adsorption, A-D, not A-B. Ad, A-D is in David, adsorption, the binding of things. Now, there's an electrostatic charge, if you will, with bentonite clay as well. There's a lot of reasons why it can help cleanse the gut as it goes through to bind to things. At the same time, the argument is, if you want to absorb certain nutrients that may carry a charge as well, they may get bound to the bentonite clay before they're absorbed into your system through the small intestine, for instance. And so there's an argument to say, take it away from times you're, you're eating or, or, or neutrifying over, uh, you know, officially overtly, if you will. Uh, yet I don't know if that diminishment of absorption is significant, although in people that are deficient, it might be. So separating it out may be a common sense way to take it even though it might not be fully necessary, if you will. Now, to use the massive amounts of bentonite clay all of the time might not be appropriate, but occasionally or medicinally for specific purpose, yes. So taking it every day, I don't know if there's an argument for that in your specific case, Bill, but that's not what I advocate, although I've utilized the adsorption properties of bentonite clay over time with great success. So we can talk about that more on another show. I think we're out of time. I want to thank Jonathan Emord for being here today. I want to thank our friends at OrangeGuard, orangeguard.com, where you can also go to a local Ace Hardware, pick it up, or go to orangeguard.com and get this safe, natural, organic, certified for organic agriculture, OMRI certified, OMRI. And there I am in my little greenhouse there with it, the orangeguard.com. Check it out. Super Don loves it too. We'll be back in about 60 seconds or... For those of you listening later on our various podcast outlets, it's almost immediate. Thank you for being here. Thank you to Stephen Halbrook. Thank you to Jonathan Emord. Thank you to you. The power to heal is yours. All right, back at it. Bonus round. Uh, won't be too long. I know Super Don's anxious to probably hang out with the new grandbaby if possible. And I've got to head out shortly to Indianapolis and the Red Pill Expo. By the way, there will be, I believe, a Goldback booth there. So if you want to get Goldbacks in person in Indianapolis, come on out to the Red Pill Expo as well. And uh, what's the update on uh, Autumn? Little Autumn. Any update? Uh, still hanging out with Mom over at the birthing center. Could probably Mom for and baby okay? Pro- yeah. Yep, they're doing okay. So probably maybe go home today, maybe tomorrow. I'm not okay. sure yet. But remember, homeopathic bryonia. If there's jaundice, that will be helpful. I know they put babies under lights too, but that will be safe as a homeopathic remedy to give to a child, of course, a baby, if you will. But just saying. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Just saying. So good show, man. A, a full-on constitutional extravaganza today on the show. 
I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was great. Um, you, know, you, you, know, you never know, but you do. <laughs> with these guests that Kevin books that, you know, we're just like, okay, cool. You know, but he just, you know, he doesn't book people that suck. Yeah. He's good at what he, at what he does. props. He's yeah. off camp. I think he's off camping right now. Right. He doesn't know what we're saying about him, so we can be nice. We don't have to be mean That's to right. him now, right? That's when he's right. present, then we have to let him know. Let him have it, right? Um, there's that uh, congressman or the guy running for Congress that Jonathan mentioned, and I think we've got an email, so we'll have to forward that to Kevin to follow up and maybe get him on. He sounds really cool. Vietnam baby, so to speak, an evacuee yeah. uh, that's here in America, became a Navy SEAL. That will be a cool story as well. Uh, let's see what else we got. Questions, comments coming in through the chat room. What do you like? I just at? got a picture of Autumn. I got to download this. Oh, a new picture from uh, of Autumn. <laughs> oh, this is this is awesome. Yeah, let's see here. It it came in while the show was going. I didn't even notice that it came in. Hmm. <sighs> I I can do this because I'm Grandpa, so yeah. I can I can show off here. Absolutely. Oh, even though but I'm not here, allowed me, to show me, my me. muscles because Super Don. All right. Oh, look at that. Oh, look little wrap tight bottom. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Uh, wow. Wow. Hiding that big head of hair too. I guess. Yeah. So what's it? I mean, that what looks it feel uncomfortable, like? but I guess babies like that. No, babies like to be swaddled. Apparently, the That's whole the, swaddling the thing. thing? It's like, yeah. yeah, it's like it a. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd be back I'd be in like the claustrophobic or something. Yeah. I can't move like a straight jacket or something. What are you right? saying? You don't you don't like to be swaddled anymore? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I, I'm cutting back. Okay. You're cutting back on swaddling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look anyway. at this. Let's see. We got some, uh, DJ Katie loves goldbacks. They have a goldback account as well. You guys remember their links at the Robert Scott Bell show website. Uh, if you scroll down on the right hand side, if, if you're on your phone, it's usually way down at the bottom cause they, they don't do two columns on a phone. So you got to go way down to see all the banners and things. But there are links to get the goldbacks to set up a, a free United Precious Metals Association account where you can do zero spread, buy, sell, gain, buy, sell, whatever, uh, which is a great way to do it, to not have to pay premiums on these things. And uh, so part of your, I won't even say portfolio because I'm not, I don't advise people on monetary policy. I just say, look, it's obvious now you've got to diversify out of the Federal Reserve note because we know what's happening. We know what's been happening for a long time. And yes, there are ups and downs due to a lot of reasons that are not truly purely economic reasons, but political or you know world power reasons that that note slash dollar is actually able to buy anything. It's not going to last forever. We know that. I don't know when it collapses altogether, but we do see the diminishment of the what? The value of each dollar so-called that you work for. So diversify, folks. Start using things that are not that before... You have no option. Get used to it and teach others to be just like you said, growing food when you're hungry is too late. So start practicing. Uh, let's see what else is going on in the chat room there. Hmm. Let's take just a moment. Are you needing to take off? Is that what we're? No, I'm okay for a few so more minutes. Get ready to go. Just, you know, I'm not going to go to the bottom have, of the hour. Yeah, I just want to run up. No, no, no. We maybe yeah. like five minutes here, but yeah. um, the Georgia Guidestones thing. You know, yes. you mentioned that yesterday. It was kind of a breaking news thing. You know, it was kind of like, ooh, that's interesting, stuff like that. This mm -hmm. thing has taken off on a life of its own. Yeah. I didn't realize it. I've been contacted by various people uh, about this. And so it inspired me to make today's poll of the day on the newsletter mm -hmm. about the Georgia Guidestones because 
people are just like they have all these different ideas of what it is that's going on or what happened to it. I never heard of it before. Mm-hmm. You're uh, sheltered until you yesterday. <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I did a little reading on it, and uh, I actually got contacted today by Tia Severino. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, you know, she's she's in, in Georgia. They're all in on and discussing that, and, and of course they're, they're in Georgia. They are, and or they were, mm-hmm. and um, there was a, a uh, candidate that was running for governor, Candace Taylor, mm-hmm. that made the Guidestones kind of a, a thing during her uh, really campaign. That she is was she being uh, uh, is she a suspect now in the destruction of them? You know what? They're, it's being talked about, and this wow. is something Tia predicted was that they were going to turn blame on her because she had made some comments about it. But I found out she's not alone in, in, in what it is that, that there's, you know, a lot of people that look at those guidestones and they, they say that they're evil and they're satanic and, and yeah. you know, and stuff. And it's Well, like, they are definitely no globalist population reductionist. Uh, I, had, I had no idea that this was going on in there. So anyway. But Leslie is shocked. He's like, what, Super Don? You never heard of it? You know me. I just, you know, it's like there's all kinds of theories about things that are evil and satanic. And I just kind of just. You know, when I when Keep I come across distance. them, then I'll pay attention to them. I, you know, I don't have time for that stuff. <laughs> so anyway, okay. uh, poll question that I put it out there. Yeah. Who do you think destroyed the Georgia Guidestones? Okay. Your well, choices you put a were lot right, of options. Right-wing fanatics, <laughs> aliens, God, mm-hmm. kids up to no good. It was a false flag to blame on the right. Mm. Someone else or, or Robert Scott Bell. Stop it. I mean, not not sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> not sure. I'm nowhere near it. And so, so if you had to predict, what, what do you think the, the number one uh, uh, choice was there? Okay, because I haven't I, seen these results. I like results. to do this to you because you never know. these results. No. Let's see. Um, now, based on the video footage of the explosion, I can't say kids up to no good because that was a massive explosion. Somebody had to be able to use and know how to use powerful munitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so who would you think destroyed it? Man, false flag to blame it on the right. That's a possibility, um, you know, that they're looking for anything. But, uh, you know, if you say people that hated the Guidestones that thought it was horrible, they wanted to blow it up, too. So I'm uh, I'm going to go with a false flag to blame on the right. That's what I'm going for. That's where I went. And you got it right. 32% are saying yeah. that it was a false flag that it was uh, designed to blame mm-hmm. the right. Yeah. for it mm-hmm. uh interestingly enough and i i like that this is second place not sure you know what it, yeah. it, that's where i would have leaned not a, yeah, yeah not a lot of information going on here interesting though mm-hmm. i we actually you know i i, I apologize mm-hmm. uh, i do not have this to play but we oh. got a phone call this morning mm-hmm and and I apologize. I got like four hours of sleep last night. Oh yeah, so yeah. I was well, like you got a new brand baby. You can be excused. But coming in at eleven percent, God, mm-hmm. God destroyed the Georgia Guidestones. Well, some have now, said like what, Lori that it was a lightning strike. I, I couldn't tell yes. that from the video. And, you know that may actually Lori. I think may have been the one. That, it was a Lori that called in. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if that's Lori that is commenting, then I apologize for not playing. Maybe it, we but, can play it tomorrow. Uh, well, well, maybe. I mean, okay. who knows? I mean, this is probably not going to go away immediately. Yeah, there'll be no more because there's an investigation going on. They did say that they saw a vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did catch a on camera a vehicle that was driving away shortly before the explosion took place. Mm-hmm. But 
there are some people that they what they've done is they've looked at the video and right it's like I'm not con- convinced that it was lightning, okay? Mm-hmm. Because the light from lightning in my experience and I'm not a I'm not a scientist, I'm not a an expert on forensic whatever like that. But a lightning strike has a tendency to light up the whole area, right? You're mm-hmm. not just going to have lightning that's going to be the light's going to be concentrated to just one area. Uh, you know, uh, you know, to the right of the the camera frame, mm-hmm. lightning lights up the whole thing, right? You know, if you've mm-hmm. seen lightning, you've been in lightning, which I know yeah, most people whole... have. Yeah, yeah. It lights up the sky. It's daylight there for a moment, right? Mm-hmm. But there is a flash of light, like like a microsecond before the explosion takes place. My my opinion on that is that is the the light that's created from the explosion, mm-hmm. not from lightning. That's per- personally. Yeah, well, um, well, we'll do but, some reanalysis and talk about it some more. I don't mind. It's pretty yeah, fast. But anyway, yeah. I mean, who knows what it was? All all we know is that it got blown up, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they uh, they they had to destroy the whole thing mm-hmm. because of safety issues. They had to, to tear it down. So now it's gone. So you know, I think it's safe to say that whoever it was, or however it was, yeah, uh, whatever the purpose was, um, it succeeded because it's now it's gone. Yeah. Now who they're going to point the finger at? That remains to be seen. And well, do you I think, think we may the, get? Yeah, we may get uh, Candace Taylor on the show. Oh, talk about it. Okay, next week. Yeah. Now uh, there still TSA will Marino. be. This is the thing. You can knock down the Georgia Guidestones. Doesn't mean that the population reductionist, globalist, Luciferian agenda is not still happening. That doesn't right. end it, even though they're knocked down. Uh, just, just so you know, you got to keep and, you diligent know, protecting. The side. other, the other part of the conversation here. Mm-hmm. The other part of the conversation here is, would you condone what happened there? You know, um, you no. Know, uh, if it's a private property, the destruction of private property is a violation of law. You might disagree with the right. stones and not like what they're written on them. It's just like the same thing we've said in defense of uh, uh, statues of uh, the Southern Confederacy. It's like, right. no, that's not a, that's not cool to blow them up and damage them, even if you don't like what they say. Um, if you want to, you know, pass an ordinance or whatever, but it's like, no, I'm not in agreement with the structure of private property. I don't know enough about this. What are they? Is this something? See, that now like, here's the funny part, though. Even yeah. if it's satanic, yeah, is there a point where you would go? Do you, you know defend what? the First Amendment or not? Would you? Would you? Would you just? Would you be okay with just kind of looking the other way? I don't know what it is to look the other way. I mean, you could point out. Here, look at this stuff. It's satanic. And and somebody runs up there right. and throws an explosive on there. You'd be like, ah, yeah. well, no, that was kind of wrong. But yeah. it was just say it was satanic. So yeah. you know. well, the question is, do you really defend the First Amendment, or is it is the it rule seasonal? of law? Right? Are you a seasonal First law. Amendment you, defender? You know, do you believe uh, in the rule of law or not? Yeah, yeah. it's there. I don't know. Interesting them. conversations. Yeah. yeah. Coming from anyway, this, so. I, and a lot of people are glad it's got knocked down, and I'm not upset by. It. I don't even think the people that had it on there was a big deal. I don't know that they charged money to see it. So, uh, what was the point? I don't it was know. Just it a was a landmark, point. I think, yeah. really, right? Yeah. So, but we'll hear some more about it, perhaps, and we'll talk some more about it. So, uh, let's see. Anything else in the chat room before we wrap it up here and head to Indianapolis? So tomorrow I should be at the hotel somewhere broadcasting. The show is actually a Saturday Sunday event. Uh, at the uh, Indianapolis uh, location. I think it's Wyndham or something. And I'm looking forward to reunions. I know Kevin Tuttle will be there. Scott Sherrill will be there. Uh, Stanford Graham will be there with Cardio Miracle and many others. I was uh, planning to do a much more comprehensive presentation to open it, but I learned that I only have been given 20 minutes 
instead of 45. Uh, oh. So I have to narrow down my slide significantly. So I'm just going to say, if you guys and gals that are showing up want to know more about what I would have presented on, you're going to have to talk to me during the weekend there. And I'm happy <laughs> to do that. I will have silver and copper shots to pour. We'll have cardio miracle to pour and everybody can try. So we'll have a good time and I'll uh, be, be recording some shows as well uh, for Sunday's broadcast, as well as uh, uh, maybe future broadcasts for Bridie on things like that. Uh, so I think I'm traveling on Monday, so we're going to have to do something pre-recorded. I think for Monday, if I'm not mistaken, I have to look at the, the calendar again. Hmm, here. Do we have anybody booked for Monday? Yeah, let's see. Uh, Monday, Monday, Monday. Where are we today? That would be, we got Dr. Patrick Vickers. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to, we're going to have to pre-record that Monday show based on, you know, interviews I can do when I'm there. Uh, You might have to patchwork a show together because I, I, yeah, I'm going to be flying out that afternoon. So we may have to uh, reschedule Vickers then. It sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. Based on my schedule, I think. All right. And also, rumor has it, still mm-hmm. working on the details of this, but we may, um, on our Sunday show, yeah, uh, have Tor McPartland on. Uh, oh, that would be awesome. The history of yeah. Orange Guard. Yeah, I would love that. Love to pre-record with him for Sunday. That would be great. Yeah, Lori was saying you know, it was free to see it. There was no charge. Again, I, I don't know that anybody's really crying about the Guidestones being knocked down. I haven't seen much like, oh my <laughs> gosh, this is outrageous. Have you seen any of that? I don't know. Just trying to figure uh, out what happened. I, ha- I haven't looked that yeah. hard. I'm sure I could find some outrage somewhere, but maybe Antifa. You, know, was you can all find outrage it. on anything, any yeah. you know these days. So yeah, that's just how it is. So yeah, false flag or I don't know. I think those are the two. I, I agree with. I'm not sure. Um, so let's see. Anything else? Yep, that was false the result. Flag, yeah. yeah, not sure. It was 29.7 percent. Yeah. Any Coming other second uh, place to false flag updates or announcements before we wrap it up today? I don't think so. Okay. I think we're good. So we'll be back tomorrow. What do we got going on tomorrow? God, tomorrow. Good... Yeah. Dr. Michael Uphughes in hour one and Jason Hommel, the copper revolution in hour two. Oh, that'd be fun. Another copper perspective. I like that. That'll be good. Looks like we got a response already from Tyler Spencer, who works with, uh, that uh, Cal, his name is Cal, Hung Cal, the guy from Vietnam. Yes. But he's forwarding it, so we're gonna we'll probably get a hold of that guy eventually and put him on the show too. That'll be an interesting interview for sure. Okay. All right, dude. We'll go pack your bags. Yeah. Well, I am packed. I'm pretty well packed now. I've got to prep my food to be able to be self-sustaining in case I don't have access to good food there tomorrow. The plan of course is to fast as always, just like I like to do my Friday fast and um, do a show and who knows what else in Indianapolis. So anybody going to be there, look forward to seeing you. And I thank again, uh, Stephen uh, Halbrook today and Jonathan Emord and all y'all for being here. And again, again, congratulations to the Naylor extended family doing their part to repopulate the planet. Despite the Georgia Guidestone, admonition right they're not happy about it but hey you knock the guide stones over and there's another baby that's born that's good news there you go so tell autumn we love her and we're glad she's with us now little autumn we'll do all right thanks y'all all All right see See you guys tomorrow. tomorrow